You're listening to The Church Established from the sermon series Called Out, originally taught on Sunday, September 17, 2023, by lead pastor Dan Krause from Brian Baptist Church. What is the church? The church is the people of God, powered by the Spirit of God, guided by the Word of God, working for the glory of God. This is the church. The church is not just a place. The church is the people. The church is not just a monument. It's a movement. The church is not just a building. It's a body. The church is not just an accessory, it's a necessity. This is the church. The Bible says the church is the hope of the world, the salt of the earth, and the city on a hill. The church is the family of God, the body of Christ, and light in the darkness. The church is God's plan A, and there is no plan B. The church is where all kinds of people from all kinds of places, come together to forsake their sins and to worship their Savior. Where chains are broken and broken hearts are put back together, where prodigals come home and captives are set free, this is the church. Where blind eyes are opened and good news is preached, where the low are lifted up and the proud are brought low, where the lost are found and the helpless find help, where brothers and sisters can find love and acceptance from each other and from their Father in heaven, this is the church. Where the disciples of Jesus are built up in their most holy faith. The church is where the gospel is. The church is where grace is. The church is where God is. The church is you. The church is me. The church is all of us. This is the church. Good morning, family. I hope you're doing well today. Listen, I I want to talk to you over the next few weeks about this church. I, I hope that you have at least some understanding of what an incredible, uh, wonderful, powerful thing it is to be part of the church, capital C. Uh, Church isn't just a building. It's not where we come to gather together. Uh, You didn't come to church today. You, as a follower of Jesus Christ, are part of the church. You are the church. The collection, the gathering of the saints. Uh, a couple months ago, I was in West Africa. There was no buildings so that the churches were gathered in, but the church was still gathered. Uh, I, I love I looking back at the, the history of things, the history of the church, and learning about where it is that we come from. What is our spiritual heritage in the church? I, I like these things across the board, not just when it comes to church, but in, in my own life, I, look, I like to look back at my ancestors and, and learn who they, they were. Uh, growing up, I was my last name was Krauss, and growing up, I was always told that I was uh, 100% German because my mom's maiden name was Swartz. And uh, as I got older, I took this DNA test on Ancestry.com. Anybody else ever do that? Now the FBI has it. So just saying, you can be found. It's important to know that. 
But I, I did this Ancestry.com DNA test, and I was kind of amazed to see how little German I had. <laughs> and I was like Welsh and Scottish. And now I'm like, I don't know, do I wear lederhosen? Do I wear a kilt? Um, I have both. I almost wore one today. The problem is neither of them fit anymore. But when I said that in the first service, there was this just palpable relief that I stepped out and didn't have a kilt on. <laughs> different story for a different time, but I have actually preached in a kilt. Um, I don't know if anybody remembers a word I said, but they remember I wore a kilt. So probably won't do that again anytime soon. But I, I like to look back at the history of my family because it helps me understand where I came from, where my ancestry is, like how I'm made and those kind of things, the cultures that informed my family. All those things are kind of important to me and just interesting, right? If you go into my office, you'll see a picture of like three or four really old guys. Those are my great, great and great, great, great grandfathers. And, and I, I like to think that, that it's from these guys that, that, that I've come, and, and I wonder if they're part of my clouds of witnesses in heaven, or are they looking down going, hey, we're really proud of what he's doing, or, or not, <laughs> right? I, I like to think about these things. Church, your heritage is incredible. For 2,000 years, God has used the church in absolutely amazing ways. Now, the church is is a group of gathered people, and because of that, we're not perfect on this side of heaven. In fact, there's been a lot of things done wrong in the name of the church. But, But friends, there's been a lot of things done right in the name of the church as well. There is no organization throughout this world that does more to help people than the church. There's no government that does more humanitarian aid than the church capital C. You're part of something special. You're part of something historic. You're part of something that is here to change the world. And we get to be a part of that. I want to learn more about the forming of the church and and church history. In these next four weeks, we're going to be talking a little bit about some of these things, particularly the history of the church and, and kind of why we do some of the things that we do. Uh, Today we're going to be in Acts chapter 2 as we look at the forming of the church. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 2. I said this last week as well, but if you don't have a Bible, um, of course there's the Bible app that you can use on your phone, but if you don't have a Bible, a physical copy, please go back to the uh, connection or information desk in the back corner of the lobby and we'll have one for you. You can always follow along on the screen, but man, I'd love it if you had your own physical copy of the Bible that you could go turn to. Uh, well, you're not here, so we'd love to give that to you. Acts chapter 2, before I read the first 13 verses, would you join me in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you. We thank you that whether we come from big families with, with a spouse and lots of kids, or if, we, if we're single, God, we thank you that we have a family here, that you have united us Both by your spirit and the shed blood of Christ, you have united us to be a family. God, we thank you that we are here united in purpose. That you've given us a job to do, something that you could do without us, but you have chosen to include us in it. God, we're thankful for that. God, as we go to your word today to learn more about our heritage as a church, God, may your spirit just reveal your truth to all of us. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 2, I'm going to read the first 13 verses. Let's go ahead and follow along. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all gathered together in one place. Somebody's reading back to me somewhere. I know I'm not the only one. 
I, I'm going to look around and see who looks guilty. <laughs> I'm sorry. All right, let's start over. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and, and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They are filled with new wine. I want us to have an understanding of what's going on here, because this is a pretty intense picture, right? People gathered from all these different nations together. The Spirit of God coming down. There's, there's fire talked about. There's people speaking in tongues. Like, what is going on here? Well, a key to understanding this text is understanding the context of what's happening, it was the day of Pentecost, and that's important. The text begins with uh, when the day of Pentecost arrived. Uh, the Pentecost, also known as the Feast of Weeks. By the way, if you're interested, last year we did a series on the different feasts, and, and we talked about this at length, the day of Pentecost, so I'm just going to do a quick review this morning. The Feast of Weeks, which we typically use the Greek term, which is Pentecost. Penta meaning 50. It happens on the 50th day after the Feast of the first fruits. The feast is tied to the grain harvest and reminds the children of Israel of God's provision in their lives. God has always provided. It was a holiday. It was a pilgrimage feast, which explains why everybody was there from the different nations. They had to go. They would have been off school. They had been off work. They would all travel to be together on this day. And that's why there were people that spoke different languages um, all in one place. This Feast of Weeks, or Pentecost, it's believed by, historically, it's believed by Jews as being the day that God gave the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. It's a significant day, historically, to the Jews who were there. And it's, in this text, we learn that it is also the day that the Holy Spirit came and the church was formed. Day of Pentecost, very important day. This book of Acts is a, is a history book. It's the history of of the church that we get to read, most likely authored by Luke. We know this because, or we believe this, uh, because both the book of Acts and the gospel according to Luke are addressed to Theophilus, to the same person, and then the writing style is very similar um, from the gospel according to Luke and the book of Acts. Uh, our text today gives us three important truths about the church that we're going to look at for our remaining time together. The first one is this, it is the church is Holy Spirit empowered. Secondly, it is guided by God's word. And finally, it is Christ confessing. Holy Spirit empowered, guided by God's word, and Christ confessing. The first point this morning, again, the church is, Christ, or the church is spirit empowered. Verse 4 in chapter 2, and they were, were all filled with the Holy Spirit 
and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. What an incredible sight that that must have been at this gathering. Um, and while people were probably a little bit surprised, they need not be surprised. You can go all the way back to the Old Testament and read prophecies about this day. But even Jesus brought up in the New Testament, Jesus even brings up that this is going to be coming in John 14, 26. It says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Jesus prophesied about the coming Holy Spirit before he came. The you in the text here in John 14, 26 is you, the church, us. The Holy Spirit has come to us. We are Holy Spirit empowered corporately as the church, but also individually as followers of Jesus Christ. At the moment of your salvation, you are indwelled with the Holy Spirit. Now this is significant because that same power that rose Jesus from the grave now lives in you. Think about that. What spiritual victories can you not have if you have the same power that rose Jesus from the grave in you? Every spiritual victory is possible because of this. The Holy Spirit was promised by Jesus to you, the church. At the moment of your salvation, again, the Holy Spirit of God entered you and He ministers to you and through you in several ways. The indwelling Holy Spirit has several important functions, uh, including convicting us of our sins. Now I want to say conviction of sin and guilt, feeling guilty, are two very different things. The moment you accepted Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, He took your guilt and gave you His righteous standing before God. We have Christ's righteousness. We are no longer guilty. Guilt is a tool of the enemy to keep a follower of Christ from following Christ. Don't feel guilty, but conviction is good. Uh, the indwelling Holy Spirit, again, convicts us of our sins. John 16, 8. And when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. If you have been convicted of sin in your life, which many or most of us have been, that is a part of the function and work of the Holy Spirit of God. By the way, it doesn't make any earthly sense to feel conviction of sin. It, it just doesn't make any sense for us to feel convicted of sin if God isn't with us and if He isn't holy. Holy Spirit guides us in truth. John 16, 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will declare to you the things that are to come. You know, when I, when I spend time reading God's Word, I, I make a habit of every time I open up and go to read uh, the Word of God, I pray that God's Spirit would open my eyes and show me His truths in, this page, in these pages. Not just so that I can understand and have more knowledge, but so I can apply it to my life. Something like, God, would you open my eyes and show me the truth on your page and, and how they apply in my life and how it should change me. I'm going to talk more about this later. But knowledge is good, but it's not enough. Knowledge put to action is what we need. It needs to change us and change the way we are living. The Spirit of God convicts us of our sin. He guides us into all truth. And He prays for you. He prays for us. John, Romans, I'm sorry, Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. 
But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. I'm convinced that some, you know, there are times that we just don't know what to pray. I've had those moments where I've closed my eyes to pray and I'm like, the words fail me. I really don't know what to say. And sometimes I just sit there quietly. But I'm comforted by the fact that the Holy Spirit of God who is with me, who knows me, who knows what's best both for me and for the glory of God, is praying with groanings that are too deep for words that I would never understand. That's a comforting thought. Anybody else ever sit down to pray and then just nothing comes to mind? You don't know what to say? Probably a lot of us, right? But also the Holy Spirit of God knows what exactly needs to be prayed for, even when I'm not even sure how I should be praying. I, I, I look back at my life, and I think about all the different times I've prayed for the wrong things. You know, I've prayed for success in areas that if I would have had that success, I can see now how it would have been detrimental to my spiritual growth and development and how God is using me for his kingdom purposes. The Holy Spirit knows this and prays for us how we ought to be prayed for and how we ought to be praying. Convicts us of our sins, guides us in truth, prays for us and empowers our witness. The Holy Spirit empowers our witness. Acts 1.8 But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You know, we talk about this great commission that we've been given to Christ to go and to make disciples who make disciples, and we talk about that a lot. Can I tell you, we are not to be evangelists on our own power. When we go and we share the good news of the gospel with other people, we are spirit-empowered. It is the Holy Spirit of God will convict them of their sins, not us, not our not our, not our words that we use, no matter how smart we think we are, no matter how cunning we are in our presentation of the gospel, it is God's Holy Spirit and his power that can make the words that we use and our faithfulness uh, bring, bring somebody from death unto life. It's God's Spirit that has the power to do that. I'm convinced that there is no place or no time that we will see the Spirit of God and his power more than when we're sharing our faith. I am convinced of that. You know, so many of us, we want to pray that God would show us miracles, that, that he would show us signs and wonders. We read throughout Scripture all these amazing things happen. And, and then if you're like me, you've prayed, God, I want to see something incredible happen. But then I'm reminded of the miracle of my own salvation. I, I'm reminded that when anybody accepts Jesus. They are convicted of sin. They turn from their old and they become new. It's a power of the Holy Spirit. And friends, it's nothing short of miraculous when somebody escapes death and has life. We get to see the miraculous because the Holy Spirit of God empowers our witness. How do we know if we are Holy Spirit indwelled? How do we know if the Holy Spirit has come upon us? Like I said, at the moment of our salvation, when we accepted Jesus to be our Lord and surrendered to him, I believe that God has, sends his Holy Spirit to indwell us. How do we know when we're being indwelled, when we're indwelled by the Holy Spirit? We know by the fruits that he produces in and through us. Galatians 5, 23 says this, but the fruit of the Spirit, what the Spirit produces in us and through us, is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. 
The Holy Spirit doesn't just produce fruit in us. He produces good fruit that each one of us wants. And the people around us need for us to have. Which one of these things on this list are you okay with going without? Is there any of these that you'd like to have more of? These are fruits that the Holy Spirit produces in us. How do we cultivate that? By growing in Christ. Letting the Spirit have more control in our lives. Letting Him guide us. Submitting and surrendering to Him. And He can produce more and more of these fruits. I'm afraid too many of us fight tooth and nail. And because of that, we, we, we sacrifice the potential growth. Friends, the Spirit of God is still active today. There are people in different parts of the world that are reporting to have had dreams where God is calling them to himself. Uh, I've, I've talked about being in West Africa this summer, meeting a lady who was, whose father was a witch doctor and she was into voodoo. She worshipped pythons. And, and uh, this group of people in West Africa that, that worships pythons, they have these scars. There's uh, two here, two here, and then one here to make themselves look more like the python and identify that way. But she was having a dream, and in this dream, she felt this spirit or this force tell her she needed to go to church. When she went to this church service, she came to know Jesus as her Lord and Savior, went into a village, preached the gospel to people, anybody who would hear her, and now there are dozens of people in that village who have gone from death unto life. Friends, the Spirit of God is still alive and well today and active. You want to see incredible things happen? Submit yourself to him and see what he will do. The second truth that we learn about the church in this text is this. The church was and is guided by God's word. So it's the Holy Spirit and the word of God together working for, for our sanctification. The, the church is guided by God's word. You know, I've uh, over the last, I don't know, I guess it's been 15 years or so, I've, I've had the privilege of, of, or the opportunity to go to several um, church or pastor's conferences. And, and, and at these conferences, you'll have several pastors get up and speak. And of course, most of the time, the pastors that are chosen to get up and speak are pastors who pastor huge, huge megachurches, 20,000 or more. Oftentimes, they'll have TV programs or be, they'll be on the radio, whatever. They're, they're well-known people. Sometimes they've authored books. Um, and over the course of the last 15 years, I've probably heard dozens of these guys. Can I tell you, almost without fail, a huge percentage of them will get up, they'll tell, they'll tell engaging stories, they'll have a presence that is fun and, and engaging and entertaining, and oftentimes in a 30-minute message, you might get about 30 seconds of Scripture. That's, that's, what, that's what we're celebrating now in the church are pastors who are not handling the Word of God, who are not starting with and preaching and keeping at the center of their sermon God's Word. Friends, I believe that I was called by God to preach His Word. I don't believe that I'm called by God to be entertaining. Amen? <laughs> yeah, you're like, tell me about it. It's a good thing, bro. We're called to be people of God's Word. He gives us everything that we need in this. Do you know that? But it's not just enough to know God's Word. We must apply it to our lives. It's not just enough to be able to recite Scripture after Scripture. If it hasn't changed our lives, we're not surrendered to the authority of God's Word in our lives. Friends, we need to surrender to the authority of God's Word in our lives. Yes, know it, but let's go and do it as well. The church, like I said 
was and is guided by God's word. The first sermon preached after the forming of the church was from Peter. Listen to verses 14 through 21. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This very first sermon preached after the forming of the church, Peter gets up and directs everybody to the word of God. And he explains to them this prophecy found in Joel. This is, this is how it's always been and how it always should be. That the word of God is preached so that we can grow and become more like Christ. First sermon. We need the Word of God to help us grow. We absolutely need the Word of God to help us grow. Um, Pastor Phil and I and a couple other people were at a, one of these other multi-pastor things and discussing the conversation. What, what, what is discipleship? What does it look like to, for discipleship? And we, we literally had one of the pastors argue that you don't need the Word of God in your discipleship process. Friends, this is, this is happening in our world. So you want to wonder, why am I preaching a sermon when all the points are well, duh? It's because some things have happened in our culture where it's not well, duh, anymore. It's not necessarily the norm anymore that the Word of God is preached. It's not necessarily the more norm anymore that we should be growing in our faith and discipled using the Word of God for knowledge and for application. It's unfortunate, but it's true. Why would we not want to use the Word of God? It is the truth. Jesus, well, when many of us, I mean, how many of you are just hunger, hungry for the truth? You know you can't turn on any news station and get actual truth. It's all going to be bias. I just want to know the truth. And we have that in the Word of God. Jesus, while praying to the Father in John 17, 8, says, sanctify them in the truth. What's the truth, you might ask? He finishes, your Word is truth. Our sanctification requires the Word of God. Again, both the knowledge of and application of the Word of God. A.W. Tozer said this. He said, The Word of God well understood and religiously obeyed is the shortest route to spiritual perfection. And we must not select a few favorite passages to exclusion of others. Nothing less than a whole Bible can make a whole Christian. We need the Word of God. We have the Word of God. Let's utilize the Word of God. The early church understood that all of their beliefs would be shaped by God's Word, and we need to follow suit and not relent. Friends, it should be demanded of our, of our teachers and preachers that they are preaching and teaching the Word of God. God's Word is just as relevant for us today as it has ever been. No matter how mature that we get, how much mature we get spiritually, we will never outgrow God's Word. 
Charles Spurgeon says, nobody ever grows, outgrows Scripture. The book widens and deepens with our years. For those of you in the room who have been followers of Christ for a number of years and have been reading Scripture and applying it, can, can, you, can, you, can you amen and agree what Spurgeon is saying here, that it actually widens and deepens over the years? That is absolutely what I have found in my study. The third and final truth about the church that we find in our text today is this. The church is Christ confessing. The church is Christ confessing that Christ is the way and there is no other way. Acts 2.36 Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. What is it that we profess or confess about Jesus? That he is the Son of God. That God sent him to this earth a perfect lamb to be sacrificed in exchange for our sins. We get his righteousness. He took on our guilt and our sin on the cross. We confess that Jesus, and through his sacrificial death, is the only way we will ever please God. It is the only way we will ever have relationship with him. It is the only way we will ever see heaven. It's through Jesus. We confess that after he had died on the cross that he rose again victorious over the grave. We confess that he has ascended into heaven to go and to prepare a place for us. And we confess that he will return for his church. We are a Christ, um, uh, we are a church that is Christ confessing. Peter in this text is reminding his audience of who Jesus is. He is Lord. We don't just say a simple prayer and say, wow, God, would you please save me? We must surrender ourselves to him Submit ourselves to Him as He is Lord. He is the Master and we are His servants. Jesus is Lord. Peter, by the way, was the first one to make a confession about who Jesus was. You might remember in Matthew 16, verses 13 and 18, this confession that he makes says this, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah. And others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now important to understand on this rock that I will build my church is actually Peter's confession, not Peter himself. It was on the confession that Peter made. The, the, it's always been a, the church has always been a Christ-confessing group. But Peter was the first one to make that confession. Friends, the church will also be victorious. The Christ-confessing church will be victorious. Whatever it is that we're facing as far as spiritual battles or, or things that are to come, we will be victorious. Jesus is the Son of God. He wasn't just a prophet. He wasn't Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. He's the Son of God and therefore equal to God. Any church that doesn't believe that Jesus is the Son of God and God is not a church at all. It is a cult. There's at least two of them on this same street that does not confess Christ to be God. We, friends, confess Jesus to be God. As the band comes... I want to issue a couple of challenges. As followers of Jesus Christ, we have an incredible heritage. 
We have an incredible heritage. What a gift the church is. Both to us and through us, the church is a gift. My challenge for you today is simple. Number one, be an active part of the church. Be active. Give of your time, of your money, of your talents. Be active. You are an important part of the church, capital C. Maybe you're a guest here today. Maybe you're just traveling through. Listen, if Brian isn't going to be your local church, there is one that you need to be a part of. I will double down and, and ask you to make sure that one is one that preaches the Bible. But there are several of them. Pick one and be an active part of it. Two, the church needs every member to function uh, properly. Well, that's not really two, but as part of that, the church, we need everybody to, in order to function properly. Sorry, two, spend time in God's Word. Spend time in God's Word. You know, it might be a discipline to you at first, but then it turns into a joy. I believe that. If you've fallen out of that discipline of reading God's Word, let's jump back into it, okay? Spend time in God's Word. But don't just end with the knowledge. Don't just end with the reading of it. Apply it to your lives. Rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the third and final challenge. Rely on the power of the Holy Spirit by sharing your faith with somebody. Rely on His power. And finally, make sure Jesus Christ is the center of it all. Dear Heavenly God, Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your Spirit. God, we thank You for Your Son. We thank You for Your church. What a privilege it is to be a part of something so incredible with such an incredible heritage and a, such an incredibly incredible promised future that we have. It's all because of you. God, help us to be a people who know your word and who apply your word. Help us to be a people who rely on this, your spirit. That we, that we find ourselves in situations where your spirit must move. That we get to see the miraculous. That we get to be a part of that. That we get the front row seat of seeing somebody passing from death unto life. God, as we proclaim the good news, your gospel. God, thank you for letting us join in on this incredible task, on this incredible journey with you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.